Welcome to The Whole Story, the holistic approach to wealth from a Christian worldview. I'm your host, Andrew Stanton, and I'm glad you've joined. They said of him, God is with you in all that you do. The Lord has greatly blessed my master, and he has become great. He has given him flocks and herds, silver and gold, male servants and female servants, camels and donkeys, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward my master. This is part two of the stewardship of Abraham today on The Whole Steward. Welcome to episode number 46. I'm thankful you're listening. We left off last week looking at the first sort of half of the stewardship of Abraham, the life of Abraham. I think there's a big issue within the church right now where you have on the one hand what we call the prosperity gospel, where the lie is perpetuated that God wants you to be healthy and wealthy. And that may be the case, but it may not be the case. There are certainly many faithful men who ended their lives in abject poverty, in prison, suffering for the sake of Christ. And that is good in and of itself. We've looked at that in previous episodes, how Jesus says, blessed are you when you are persecuted and men revile you for his namesake, for the name of Jesus. That is one thing. But on the flip side, the church, I think, has the temptation to flip all the way to the other side and perpetuate the poverty gospel. Well, God just wants you to be poor in this world and to not hold on to the things of this world or uh, seek to gain more of them while you're here, more control of them. That's what a steward does. A steward controls the things that are given to them in their name for a period of time to manage on behalf of somebody else. Now, as a whole steward, you know that you are managing every form of capital, all nine forms of capital, for his glory every day. And they aren't ours to keep forever. They are just things that are under our control for a time, and we manage them to the glory of God. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, you do all to the glory of God. Now, certainly, you can look through Scripture and you can find examples of those who did that very well, who can be examples for us. There are certainly examples of both extremes, those who, like I said, ended in abject poverty, and also those who ended with lots of wealth to their name. But just because they were wealthy doesn't mean that they were somehow loving this world or the things in this world, holding on to this world as if it's the only thing. Our hope, our ground, our sure foundation is set squarely in heaven. As a whole steward, we know that we are just sojourners in this land. This is not our permanent home, so we don't gather stuff and manage stuff as if it was our permanent home. We manage everything we have for God's glory. One really good example, I think, is Abraham. And we looked at it last week. I hope you caught that last episode. This will be part two of the life of Abraham. We'll look at how God worked through the life of Abraham to manage all these things that he had under his 
care for a short time for God's glory. Now, certainly, Abraham was not a perfect man, but we do look at him as sort of the father of faith. We look at him as the example that God set forth for how he saves from sin and justifies a man by faith and faith alone, not by his works, not by what he did. All that he did in his life was an example or an outpouring of his faith. So God didn't say, hey, Abraham's a great guy. He's really good at what he does, so I think I'm going to save him. That's not how it worked. It says Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. It was the fact that Abraham believed God. His faith was the basis for him getting counted with righteousness. Certainly, Abraham did a lot of things that were not righteous, and we'll see more examples of that today. So we left off where Abraham was pleading and interceding for any righteous persons that would be in Sodom and Gomorrah before God destroyed the city. So here you have Abraham, a very wealthy and influential man in the land. Everybody knew him. We saw last week that he went and fought kings with his own personal army, men who had been born and trained in his own household. He had lots of land, as I said in the intro. He had flocks and herds, silver and gold. He was a very, very, very influential man. But he also had a very close relationship with God. In fact, on several occasions, he had conversations with the Lord. And the Lord made promises to him directly based on conversations and based on a covenant that was indeed one-sided. God said, I am making a covenant with you and it's me alone. Usually when you enter in a covenant, you have two people who come together and they mutually agree to keep their side of the covenant. But God said, I'm going to put you to sleep and I'm going to make a covenant with you, which is based not on anything you will do, not on anything you have done, not on anything you believe, but on me alone. I will do this, God says. And that covenant was to make a great nation out of Abraham and to bless him and to bless the nations through him. And God certainly did that, did he not? Because through the line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And all the nations are blessed through Jesus Christ because he is the way, the truth, and the life. So jumping right in, it's amazing to me that Abraham has these conversations with God himself or the messengers from God, and he negotiates with them. I'm not going to go into detail, but you see how God honors Abraham's requests. And as it turns out, Abraham is a prophet. We see that in verse 7 of chapter 20. It says, now then return the man's wife, for he is a prophet so that he will pray for you. That was the Lord talking to Abimelech and telling him, look, Abraham's a prophet. And Abraham is here interceding for the righteous persons in Sodom and Gomorrah. That was Lot and his wife and daughters. Now, his wife turned out to be not so righteous as she looked back at the city on the way out. You remember the story, she turned into a pillar of salt. But still... She was saved, at least initially, through the fact that she was married to Lot and she went out with him from the city before it was destroyed. 
God is a righteous judge, and Sodom and Gomorrah became one of those terms that is meant to just describe abject evil in the world. And so we have the term sodomy, which comes from it. It's very evil, and we see our society going that direction now. It's very sad, and it's something that we as whole stewards, if we're anything like Abraham, we plead for the righteous persons in the cities that are going completely into sodomy, and we also want to fight against and stand up for what is right, whatever that may be. So Lot was an example of that as he was in the city and he was preventing the men from doing the acts that they wanted to do to the angels when they came in the city. So we have a very specific responsibility to live out our faith in whatever situation we find ourselves in. And now, today, here in the 21st century, we find ourselves in a situation where we see sodomy coming back. So it's a very sad thing, but it's something that we need to be very much on the alert and fighting against. When we get to chapter 20, we see Abraham interacting with Abimelech. Now, this is the second time I find it fascinating that Abraham tells Sarah, his wife, say that you're my sister. And you see that Abimelech then takes Sarah as his wife, although he did not have any marital relations with her. It's just this situation that kind of gets very sticky and Abimelech starts having a lot of trouble. God says, look, you know, you got another man's wife and that's why you're having uh, these problems. And so he says, look, I tried to act in integrity. I didn't know. And that's when we see in verse 7 of chapter 20 where God says to Abimelech that Abraham is a prophet. Now, all the way through, it's very interesting how Abraham has these situations that he deals with. And it's fascinating to me that it turns out that Sarah was actually the half-sister of Abraham. So when you get to chapter 20, you realize that, oh, well, every time Abraham says, oh, she's my sister and not my wife, it's almost like a half-truth. Now, this is very strange. This is a long time ago. I don't purport to understand exactly how this works. The same father, but different mothers. And it was a long time ago. If if somebody has a better explanation, I would be very open to hearing the perspective. I didn't actually read any commentaries on this, although I probably should have, but certainly they're available and, and we can dive in together. That's why I'm here is to learn. So let's move on. Chapter 15, Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. To Sarah, he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. It is a sign of your innocence in the eyes of all who are with you. It is a sign of your innocence in the eyes of all who are with you, and before everyone you are vindicated. Then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, and also healed his wife and female slaves, so that they bore children. For the Lord had closed all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. So here you kind of see the restoration of the situation. Abimelech is healed, his wives and those in his household are able to bear children again, and you see Abraham praying for Abimelech, and everything is made whole. Chapter 21 is the birth of Isaac, the fulfillment of the promises that God had been giving to Abraham. And I find this amazing. In verse 5, Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Talk about 
a miracle. Talk about God doing what is impossible to humans. You have to have a lot of faith to trust that God is going to do a miracle, basically, and give you children when you're a hundred years old. In fact, in the New Testament, referring to this situation, it's said of Abraham that he was as good as dead, and yet he had a son by Sarah, his wife. And it's just a very great thing. Verse 2, and Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. So very cool to see the promises of God coming true. The next point, verses 8 through 21, are the conflict that ensued within Abraham's household because he already had had this son by the servant girl, Hagar, and that son was Ishmael, and there was conflict between Hagar and Sarah. And so Abraham, sizing up the situation, gives to Hagar the ability to escape. In verse 14, Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. So here he provisions her and sends her away because of the conflict. It was very severe. And and yet you see that the Lord, even in all of this, provides for Hagar and her son. In verse 18, God says to Hagar, Up, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. You see, the Lord provided even for Hagar and Ishmael there, but Abraham has successfully sort of sent her off and kind of solved one of the problems that was in his household. Very sticky situation, and certainly that sticky situation was a direct result of an example of Abraham not trusting God and his promises. So he's dealing with the ramifications of that. Then in verse 22 and following, he enters into a treaty with Abimelech. And this is where I pulled for the intro. This is one of the things said of Abraham. Abimelech said, God is with you in all that you do. How's that for a intro to talking to somebody? You come up and you say, look, I know God is with you in all that you do. What an amazing testament to the stewardship of Abraham. Abraham was a man of faith and in charge of a lot of stuff, okay? And it was very evident to everyone. Verse 25, when Abraham reproved Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized, Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, and I have not heard of it until today. So here, Abraham is saying, look, You gave me land, I dug a well, and now your servants, Abimelech claims that he doesn't know anything about it, but he says your servants are trying to say that it's yours, and it's not, it's mine. Verse 27, so Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two men made a covenant. Now, this is an example of a two-sided covenant, and they said they agreed on the fact that Abraham had dug the well. Uh, Verse 30, he said, These seven ewe lambs you will take from my hand, that this may be a witness for me that I dug this well. So verse 32, so they made a covenant at Beersheba. Then Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, rose up and returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting 
God. So we see Abraham ratifying a covenant, giving the example they used to use animals to ratify a covenant. Nowadays, we have signatures. They signed in ink or, or even like back in the day, they would sign in blood. But in this case, this is how they ratified covenants. And it was an example of Abraham saying, look, I need the rightful control and ownership of the things that I have done in the land that you gave me. And this well is an example of that. And you see a very faithful covenant being executed. He called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. Everything he did, every step he took, every action he, every covenant he executed should have been, and in this case was, executed in faith before the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord, the everlasting God. We see that in verse 33. Hi, this is Gary Pinkerton with Gary's Gulch Podcast. You are listening to The Whole Steward with Andrew Stanton, one of the best researched shows by a man of true passion. Now that you know more, go out and grow more. Chapter 22 is a hard one because this is the point where God says, Abraham, is there anything that you have, anything at all that you withhold from me? Everything you have, everything I have, everything Abraham had belonged to the Lord. And we talk about one of the forms of capital is relational capital. Isaac was certainly one of those promise-fulfilling people in Abraham's life. And he loved Isaac. He was his only son by his wife, Sarah. And he specifically knew that God had promised to fulfill all the covenants through the line of Isaac. And here God says, I want Isaac from you. Now that is a very severe and bold thing to ask of Abraham. And you see in Abraham's obedience, he did not withhold even his son, his only son, whom he loved from the Lord. And he obeyed and said, Lord, here he is. The New Testament says that Abraham believed that even God was able to raise him from the dead in order to fulfill the promises of the lineage of a great nation coming from Isaac. Certainly, Isaac had no children at this point, And so it was an extreme test of faith. And Abraham withstood the test. The Lord says, now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son from me in verse 12. But I think the Lord knew. The Lord knows everything. This was a physical living out of the test of Abraham's faith. Even Abraham knew now and executed the living out of obeying God's commands. It's amazing because Abraham names the mountain in verse 14, the Lord will provide because Abraham is stopped by an angel right at the last minute before he kills his son and provides a ram instead, a substitute, very much a picture of Christ being our substitute for our sins. When we were under God's wrath, God provided the lamb that took our place on the cross. And then God uses this opportunity to reaffirm his covenants. By myself, in verse 16, 
I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. What an amazing testament to the faith of Abraham and to the provision of and promises of God. In chapter 23, we see Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah, and Sarah died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. And Abraham rose up from before his dead and said to the Hittites, I am a sojourner and a foreigner among you. Give me property among you for a burying place that I may bury my dead out of my sight. So here, Abraham goes to the Hittites and says, look, I'm a sojourner and I want land from you to bury my dead. And he says, give it to me. But in verse nine, you see that he's asking for the cave of Mechpelah, which he owns. It is at the end of his field for the full price. Let him give it to me in your presence as property for a burying place. Now, the interesting thing I find about this is that even back then, at least the way Abraham's going about it, burial was very expensive. And we have that same problem today. You want a piece of land to bury your dead and it is really expensive. I went over a couple weeks ago that I happen to live in the most expensive city in the U.S., according to the U.S. News and Report, but it's an expensive process, and Abraham is not pulling any expenses on this. This is Sarah, his wife, and he is going about it in a very honorable way. He goes to the Hittites and says, I want to buy a piece of property with a cave on it to bury my dead. Now, the cool thing about this is Ephron was a very honorable man, the Hittite, and he answered Abraham in the hearing of the Hittites of all who went in at the gate of his city. Now, as I go through this next part, I'm going to insert today's price for the silver. And I know it's probably not a one-to-one directly because silver has probably a different value, intrinsic value today, maybe than it did back then, but it's the best I've got to kind of see, okay, well, what would the silver have been worth in today's dollars in today's society? And maybe it was more, maybe it was less, but maybe it gives us an idea. In verse 11, Ephron says, no, my Lord, hear me. I give you the field and I give you the cave that is in it. In the sight of the sons of my people, I give it to you, bury your dead. So here, Abraham, being the blessed man that he was, the reputation that he had, for whatever reason, Ephron wants to give him the field. And Abraham says in verse 12, he bowed down before the people of the land and he said to Ephron in the hearing of the people of the land, but if you will hear me, I give you the price of the field, accept it from me that I may bury my dead there. Ephron answered Abraham, my Lord, listen to me, a piece of land worth $3,600. What is that between you and me? Bury your dead. Abraham listened to Ephron and Abraham weighed out for Ephron the silver that he had named in the hearing of the Hittites, 400 shekels of silver, which is about $3,600 today, 
according to the weights current among the merchants. So it's amazing to me that here you have a man of God, a man of faith, saying, I want to bury my dead, sell me the field. And the man who owned the field, Ephron the Hittite, is saying, no, I want to give it to you. And Abraham just absolutely refuses and just keeps pressing and saying, no, I'm going to pay you for it. I'm going to pay you for it. And that we can draw from this many times. I know being as wealthy as we are in the society that we live in, you can see examples of this where one guy has something, the other guy wants it, says, I'll pay you for it. No, I don't want you to pay me for it. I'm going to pay you for it anyways. And they say, no, please don't. And then you just kind of like you secretly, and this happens sometimes where you send it and then they send it back. And it's like, no, 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 I want to be honorable. And it was interesting that this was a very public thing. It says, no, everybody knew that Abraham had paid the Hittite for the field to bury Sarah. And certainly, that is a testament to the integrity that Abraham had. Verse 17, So the field of Ephron in Mechpelah, which was in the east of Mamre, the field which uh, with the cave that was in it, and all the trees that were in the field throughout its whole area, was made over to Abraham as a possession in the presence of the Hittites before all who went in at the gate of his city. After this, Abraham buried Sarah his wife in the cave of the field. You see, this is kind of like recording the deed. It's in the public record. That's what it says. It was before all the people at the gate of the city. That's basically the equivalent of the public record. And Abraham was straight up paid for the field and it was put in the public record as a possession for him. It was made over to him and there he buried his dead. The field in verse 20 and the cave that is in it were made over to Abraham as property for a burying place by the Hittites. So it was all fair and square, and Abraham lived out his faith and his stewardship even in this situation. The next piece, I'm not going to go into detail on this, but chapter 24, I, I encourage you to read it. It's very interesting, even how Abraham's servant is a faithful steward and bearer of the name and household of Abraham. He says in verse 1 that the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. This is amazing. We say, well, the blessing of the Lord is spiritual blessings, and there's this separation sometimes mentally in our minds between physical blessings, which is just the things that we have, and spiritual blessings. But this, the context absolutely does not permit that. Abraham was blessed by the Lord in all things. That includes Everything from the field he bought to the people in his life, even the faithful servant that he sends to go find a wife for his son Isaac. And the servant is very much a worshiper of God as well. You'll see that. Verse 10, the servant took 10 of his master's camels and departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master, and he arose and went to Mesopotamia. So here he goes. He's got a whole bunch of stuff with him, and he's going to go find a wife for Isaac. Verse 12, and he said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Here he is, the servant of Abraham, praying directly to the Lord to grant him success in a physical endeavor of stewardship. By this, 
I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master, he says in verse 14. By the the physical signs, the things that I'm asking to step through, it had to do with the watering of the camels and the young woman walking out and how is this guy going to know who the lady is that is the right one. And so verse 16, the young woman was very attractive in appearance, a maiden whom no man had known. In other words, she was a virgin and she went down to the spring and filled her jar and then came up and the master was like, Ooh, I think this one might be the woman. This might be it. And of course, he's prayed to the Lord to bless his efforts in this case. Verse 21, the man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing a half a shekel or about $400 and two bracelets for her arm weighing 10 gold shekels each or about $8,000 each in today's dollars. And you see, these are expensive gifts, a sign of his desire to pursue the woman as a possible wife for Isaac. The man bowed his head in verse 26 and worshiped the Lord and said, blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsman. So you see the master blessing the Lord, worshiping the Lord, that he recognized the steadfast love of the Lord that his master Abraham was shown in the Lord providing a wife for his son Isaac. In verse 34, so he said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has greatly blessed my master and he has become great. He has given him flocks and herds, silver and gold, male servants and female servants, camels and donkeys. And Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master when she was old. And to him, he has given all that he has. So you see a an example of inheritance. Abraham is advanced in years. He's passing all of his wealth to Isaac. And the servant is just sitting there describing all the things that Abraham is passing to his son. Long story short is that he does bring Rebekah back with him. And in verse 53, you see the servant brought out the jewelry of silver and of gold and garments and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave to her brother and to her mother costly ornaments. So he really gives a lot of gifts to everyone involved, then is sent away with Rebecca and Rebecca's servant. And it says in verse 56, but he said to them, do not delay me since the Lord has prospered my way. They really didn't actually want to send Rebecca right away, but the servant is saying, don't delay me. Don't mess this mission up. The Lord has prospered my way. I found the one and please send her with me. And so in the end, she's sent with him and everything is a big success. So that really brings us to the end of this overview. In chapter 25, verse 5, you see Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac. He also gave gifts to the other sons that he had. He had other sons by other women, which Yes, that indeed is a problem. Polygamy is never actually approved of in the Old Testament. But anyways, Abraham did have other sons and he gave gifts to them, but he gave all that he had to Isaac because through Isaac was his offspring promised. Certainly, if you read the genealogies, Christ came through the line of Isaac. 
It says in verse 7, these are the days of the years of Abraham's life, 175 years. Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years and was gathered to his people. They talk about dying at a good old age. Abraham was one of those. He was not an example of one who died poor and in jail for the sake of God, but he still honored God through his stewardship. Now, certainly, whatever your calling is, that is what you should live out. But here's an example of a man dying at a good old age and bringing honor and glory to the Lord through his faith and his stewardship all the way to the end. It's very neat to see that in verse 9, Isaac and Ishmael, his sons, buried him in the cave of Mechpelah in the field of Ephron, the son of Zor, the Hittite, east of, the Ma- of Mamre, the field that Abraham purchased from the Hittites. You see, there Abraham was buried with Sarah, his wife. After the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac, his son, and Isaac settled in Beer Lahi Roy. So Abraham's life comes to an end, as will all of our lives. He was buried with his wife in the field that he had purchased a testament to God's faithfulness, a testament and an example that we can follow in certain aspects. There's a very present danger in reading about a man of faith and saying, oh, well, we we can live like that and sort of apply everything Abraham did to everything we should do. Oh, we should have a personal army. Oh, we should have concubines. Oh, we should do the things that Abraham did. But you can see the principles of God's provision. You can see the principles of his faithful stewardship. You can see a man who was very wealthy and yet honored God. And the reason why I focus on this is because if you're listening to this podcast, you are among the most wealthy in the world. You and I are extremely wealthy. We have wealth at our fingertips and lifestyle at our fingertips that goes beyond even what Abraham could have imagined. Even though Abraham had servants, he lived in a tent. We have people who do most of our dirty work for us as well. Think about that for a minute. Maybe we don't have a servant that we trust enough to go out and find a wife for our son. That's a bit extreme, but wow, was he blessed for it. This servant was a faithful steward, and Abraham was a faithful steward. And you and I can be faithful stewards. Know the word, read the word, and live in light of the word. Know God, certainly Abraham did, and even his servant did, and God will bless you. Salvation from sin is number one, and then how we live in thankfulness before God is in response. If you like the show, give it a thumbs up. Make sure you subscribe on your favorite platform. Leave a review. Give us a comment. Send me an email, letters at wholesteward.com. Next week, we have a really exciting guest, so don't forget to tune into that. Now that you know more, go out and grow more. All content on The Whole Steward is for informational purposes only and must not be considered personal, professional, tax, or legal advice. Please consult an appropriate professional for individualized advice. Though we do our best to bring you reliable information, we make no guarantee on its accuracy, so you must rely on your own due diligence to draw your own conclusions. The views expressed by guests on the show are their own and may not represent that of the host. Please visit our website for complete terms and conditions.
Thanks for joining us today for the holistic approach to wealth from a Christian worldview. This show is brought to you by thewholesteward.com.